Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today we've got a great story of compliance getting out of a contract that an employer tried to get OP wrapped up in. But first, a story from Rum and Napalm. Don't want to fix the elevator? Meet the stinky cart. While I was earning my bachelor's in chemistry, I worked for the university's hazmat department. My job involved inspecting labs, disposing of old chemicals, occasionally giving people the you-have-to-be-kidding-me stare, and plenty of other fun activities so our esteemed researchers can figure out science in a safe environment. Quick description of the campus, one building was a more recent construction. It has two wings and was shaped like the vaguely S-shaped Tetris block no one loves. The east wing was full of laboratories, three full stories and basement of labs cancer research, Alzheimer's research, deadly banana fungus research. The place housed the most prestigious staff of brilliant minds trying to solve the world's problems. The West Wing housed the administrative offices of the university. Accountants, bookkeepers, and assorted bean counters, HR and desk jockeys, all the way up to the dean. People who, unlike their eastern counterparts, seem to be the cause of many baffling questions like, why are our emergency expenditures still not approved? Why is there a problem with my pay slip again? And why is there so much red tape? That building was connected to the rest of the campus via underground tunnels accessed via the basement and had one elevator per wing. Now the thing is that the loading dock is in another building, so when the labs receive their orders of chemical, they grab their cart and scoot down the tunnel to the arrivals, load up their cart, and carry it back to the lab to be safely stored on penalty of getting the are you kidding me stare or a long lecture by my boss. Important point, the rules prohibit using the stairs with hazmat, elevator only. It's safer this way. So one day the science wing's elevator breaks down. I send a request to have it fixed. At least four lab employees also send it. We receive the response that we should all use the administrative elevator. I reply that since one of the labs is on a sort of half floor, the only way to reach it is the science wing elevator or a flight of stairs, highlighting the risk of falling while carrying heavy boxes of chemicals in the stairs or how there was no way to safely carry very heavy gas cylinders up those stairs. They were having none of that. Use the administrative wing elevator. They'll call to have the elevator fixed but is considered low priority. I show the reply to my boss. He was the type of guy for who workplace safety is no laughing matter. And I was expecting him to reply with a strongly worded email and about four to five paragraphs from various workplace safety laws text. Instead, he had a strange smile. Oh, don't worry, OP. It'll soon be a priority to them. Two days later, my boss comes in. OP, don't forget the biohazard truck comes tomorrow. You should collect the wastes from the labs. Oh boy, biohazard day, the day where I get to leave my office, visit every lab in the university, jokingly saying, bring out your dead, as I enter and have a chat with teachers, classmates, and various lab aides. I put on my lab coat and protective goggles. 
My boss says, and don't forget, the elevator in the science wing is broken. You have to go through the administrative wing. Oh, now I get it. See, when the pencil pushers decided that fixing the elevator wasn't a priority, they didn't realize that I would be walking around with a cart filled with containers bearing a bright yellow biohazard logo and returning with them full of old petri dishes full of culture medium. And any biochemists or microbiologists worth their lab coat will tell you, culture medium stinks. It smells like regurgitated baby food left out in the sun. So here I am, walking in front of all these nice offices and meeting rooms, the clack 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 of my cart full of biohazard announcing my arrival, and the smell of death following me. Yes, I made sure that all bags were properly sealed, but it's one of those powerful smells that just doesn't care about that. The nice lobby outside the elevator where people wait to meet the dean? Hello, sorry about the smell. The meeting room with the open door? Sorry about the noise. Can I get an update on that elevator? People walking down the hall in their office suit? Wow, they sure do seem to be a bit nervous seeing a guy in a lab coat driving around containers with the biohazard symbol on them. Should I tell them it's harmless unless you're severely immunocompromised? Nah. Oh, and my cart only has room for three of those containers, plus the new ones I leave to replace the full ones. Biohazard day is about two to four trips per floor. After the second of such biohazard day, we got a message stating the elevator will be fixed over the weekend. If you were faced with something as dumb as having to drive all this stinky biohazard right through the admin offices, would you intentionally drive it nice and slow, try to make eye contact with anybody through there? Just try to increase your chances of getting more and more complaints put in? Or do you think it would just be like more embarrassing driving these biohazard carts through there and you'd want to get through it quick? Let me know how you would handle it in the comments down below. Our next story is from Muddy0258, small-scale malicious compliance involving my landlord. So context, me and my fiancé live in the USA and had an opportunity in another state that required us to move pretty quick. Our lease required 60 days of notice before we move out, plus a buyout fee, but because of the situation, we weren't able to give 60 days of notice. We're also not really happy with our landlord because she called us six days before we moved into this unit, about 10 months before this all went down, and told us we would have to delay our move in by a week and move us to a completely different unit because the people in our unit decided last minute not to move out, despite being required to by the same lease we signed. Not that I want to kick these people out on their butts with no place to stay, but our landlord didn't really apologize to us instead just emphasized how much of a tough situation these tenants put her in by remaining in our unit. In an emergency, we had to stay with my fiancé's family for that week before moving in. On top of that, she really hasn't been the best while we lived here. The only way the office will accept any kind of correspondence from residents is through their online portal. We're not allowed to email them directly, only call, and even then, we can't place maintenance requests over the phone. And the online portal's been down a total of almost 90 days that we've lived there. Not 90 days in a row, but there was a two-month period where it was down completely, and it was down sporadically throughout the rest of our stay. No alternative for the portal was ever provided. So here's the story. I send our landlord an email letting her know that we needed to move out soon. I think the date was 45 days from when I sent the email. In the email, I included that we understood our financial obligation, 
and that we intended to continue paying rent through the end of our lease since we really aren't giving her 60 days notice before the move out. I wanted to give her the courtesy of being able to rent out the unit or at least begin to look for other renters and have them move in sooner so the unit remains occupied and they can rent it out sooner. Our landlord shoots back insisting that we must give 60 days notice before moving out and that we must pay the buyout fee to leave early. The buyout fee was about 3 months of rent and we had 3 months left on the lease, so we would have had to have paid the 60 days of rent and then the buyout fee on top of that. She stressed that we needed to read the lease before bothering her because all of this information was already in there. On top of that, she included several pages of the lease, including the page with the clause about needing to move out if another tenant has signed a lease for your unit. Cue malicious compliance. Maybe it was her including that clause that upset me, but I had enough at that point. I emailed her back and simply said, Upon further review of our lease, we've decided to stay until the end of our lease on date. As that date is more than 60 days away, I hope it's alright if you consider this our notice that we're moving out and do not plan on renewing our lease. Thank you. A couple weeks later, my fiancé and I packed our bags and moved out, leaving the unit empty. My aunt and uncle live nearby, so we gave them the keys. They went to check on the unit and run the lights and water about once a week to make sure everything was still working. Our landlord emailed us a couple times near the end of our lease, asking if we would be out of the unit so they could bring their new tenants in to tour the unit. Unfortunately for her, we were always busy and the apartment was never clean, so she couldn't give them a tour of our unit. When our lease was up, I took a trip back to town to drop off the keys and do our final checkout. Overall, we saved several thousand dollars that we would have had to have paid in rent, and we cost her several thousand dollars in revenue from not renting out her empty unit for two months. She was none the wiser. Well, I mean, I don't really blame OP if they've got a structured contract like that, and you see an opportunity to be able to save thousands of dollars by circumventing this weird buyout clause, then I'd probably try to do the same thing as well. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Every single day we've got awesome stories like our next one from EX Animus. Not giving me a written contract? Sure. This happened to my partner, but I'll try to tell it as if it's my own story for better reading experience. I worked at a small coffee shop as a barista. On the first day, I told my boss, the owner, that I would like to sign a written contract so that it's less likely to create conflicts about the working terms and conditions. He said, I'd give you a written contract when you've passed probation. Okay, maybe he's environmentally friendly and wanted to save a tree or something. I asked if there would be more days off after probation. He said, yeah, one more day off per month. Three months gone by, which normally would mean passing probation. I asked again for the day offs. He said, you must have been mistaken. It was unpaid public holidays before three months, but now they're paid public holidays, so it equals to one more off per month. Firstly, paid public holidays after three months of employment is a law in my place. It isn't some perk that he generously granted me nor something that anyone in the workforce wouldn't know. Secondly, I asked him for the number of days off, not the number of other kinds of rest days. The context and the conversation was entirely different. I mean, if he also counted annual leaves, PTO in my place, or sick leaves, that number could have pumped way up. I felt like he tricked me, but I couldn't prove that because anything he promised were only words. 
The one thing that made me decide to leave the place was that in COVID times, if a staff tested positive, obviously the shop should close. Other staff get tested and get professionals to deep clean the shop. But no, my boss decided to do none of that. A colleague got COVID, we were required to operate as usual, hiding the fact that we have a COVID positive staff from customers that were entering and drinking our products. I was even required to clean the shop with the usual apparatus. As a non-professional COVID cleaner and a very likely COVID positive patient, here comes the malicious compliance. In my place, if you pass probation, normally after three months as aforementioned, you need four weeks notice. Within probation period, one week is enough. I handed in my letter. Boss said I needed to stay four weeks so that he could find a replacement and have me train my successor because normally that's how it works. I said no. You promised me a signed contract after probation. You didn't give me one. My offer wasn't reviewed, didn't get a raise. You didn't even tell me I passed probation. Thanks for not giving me that written contract. I'm going to leave in a week. He tried to argue, but no legit points came out of him. The fallout? After I told him I quit, another barista also handed in his resignation letter. He needed four weeks though, and also a kitchen staff. My replacement sucks so much that he's given up teaching. The coffee shops lost all staff that can make good coffee, along with the skills that we carry. I don't know if in OP's country if they have a proper regulatory body that they could contact, but I would highly recommend that if there is, they should because a company that's going to just ignore a COVID positive staff member? I literally do not understand how you can pretend to be able to get away with that. And our final story of the days by Silence Silence 123 New Executive Group. I used to work in the automotive industry and started as a co op student and worked up to be a contract quality engineer. I spent almost five years there before having to find new work. I had been there on co-op for two years and had been given the opportunity for a contract even though I wasn't done with school. My old boss and new boss liked that I was a dedicated employee and had a great work ethic. I had a great reputation with the engineering team and though I made some mistakes, the floor staff trusted me. During my second year on contract, I worked with a truck manufacturer that we made some parts for and I had been their contact person for issues and testing requests. One day, this manufacturer had a part fail catastrophically. They called our head office and threatened us with a recall. It was all hands on deck. I went out to my customer and took care of them. It was a complete cluster freak for about six weeks. But we solved the problem. My customer had high praises for me and wanted to make sure that I was going to manage their account for the future. Fast forward to the four months before I leave, the company gets sold and my contract's now going to be my last as the new owners want to bring in their own team. I talk to my boss, but he's in a hiring freeze until the next physical year. So I'm now in a tough spot, but I work through it. Due to me being a recent graduate and being contracted, the new owners don't feel it's necessary to train my replacement. I have a single meeting with the new executive team and explain to them all the things us quality engineers provide to our customers. I get told the following, why would we offer such services for free? We need to make money and if this doesn't make money, then we don't need it. I say I agree that we should make money but good customer service has given us a lot of contracts that otherwise would have been sent elsewhere. They say let us decide how we manage, you just need to make sure the parts are good. Okay then. I take this time to decide that I'm now going to work whistle to whistle and only do what's on my job description. 
because I'm now just working my normal 40, there's tasks that would usually get done by me after hours that start to slip. By the time I leave, all of my normal extras I do are now in complete disrepair. I thank my boss for his support and my former boss before packing my desk. My last day was just before Christmas too. Over the next month, my boss calls me and asks if I would come back. After my experience with the executive team, I respectfully declined. After another month, I get a call from the executive team asking for me to come back. Again, I declined, but I ask why such a request. They say, well, one of our customers has become unsatisfied by our new service, and we need some help to get it back on track. I say, oh, so my customer, who I explained wanted a good level of customer service, is now upset. For context, they're about 50% of our total business. They reply, look, will you help us or not? I say, I will for two weeks at engineering rate, $120 an hour. They say, absolutely not. You can have your old contract renewed with a 50 cent an hour raise. I say, no thank you, and I hang up. I reach out to an old friend a few months later and find out that they lost my customer and are now struggling to keep their other customers. I guess good customer service can be the difference. I think it goes without saying, if you're in this field and you're working with these companies and all of a sudden you try this new one and it seems like they're just putting in 150% effort, doing some extra little things to make you comfortable, make it easier on you, you're going to want to stick with that and stick by them. You take that extra customer service away and you're only as good as how cheap you can possibly make your services be. Especially for a company like this, if you've been paying them and been getting great customer service and then they just take all of that extra customer service away and expect you to keep that same rate, you're gonna wanna shop around. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you wanna see another compliance story that was even more insane than these ones, click on the left video. Or if you missed my latest video, click on the right. With that said, I'll see you all next time for some more stories. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.